Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. I want to speak to you today on a subject the King is calling. The King is calling you, and this is part two of a message that was preached two Sundays ago. The King is calling you, and sometimes for all of us, it's hard to hear because our world is noisy. It is noisy. There's so much going on. There's earthquake. There are geopolitical issues around the world. There's a, a pandemic on top of all of that. There is divisiveness. There are so many things. And yet, in all of that, the king is calling you. The other thing about the lamb that makes the lamb worthy is the willingness to sacrifice. And that's why the devil tempts us with comfort, so that we're unwilling to sacrifice. There's not a whole lot of talk about sacrifice. There's not even honor in sacrifice. In scripture, sacrifice is honorable. But in our world, it's not something that is a, a common topic of discussion. This weekend, this heat wave we've been going through, as you know, has been oppressive. And our air condition unit start, decides to go out. There's no air condition. And so we're running a family errand yesterday and David says, mom, will you call the people to fix it, right? When are they coming? And so she explained the situation and his retort was, why can't they come now? And his words represent the disposition of many of us. We want what we want, and we want it now. And if something interrupts our comfort, you better explain to me why it can't happen now. And his mother in her wisdom said, well, the basement is cool. There's another place over here that's cool. She was pointing him to a refuge. There is a place you can go and be and get what you need. And sometimes when there's all this calamity in the world, we say, God, where are you? Lord, I need you now. I need you now. And the psalmist reminds us that God is our refuge and strength, a present help, a very present help in trouble. If you find yourself in trouble, know that he's present. That's a promise. He's a present help in trouble. Sometimes we look for help even in comfort, but he's a present help in trouble. So when you're in trouble, you don't have to look for God. You don't have to look far for God. He's present to help when you are in trouble. I hope that encourages somebody. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the king is calling you. And our text, our primary text, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 20. 
and we're going to read verses 11 through 18, and then we're going to lift three things out of this text that we're going to build upon. And it reads, And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send it, send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. I cannot read that text, that last line, in this sanctuary without feeling something for all of those who will be missed because their seat is empty. During this time where we have not been gathering frequently, the seats of many precious, beloved family members of New Covenant are empty, and they will be missed. And I just wanted to pause just for a moment to remember and honor those whose seats are empty, for they will be missed. In this text, Jonathan makes a covenant with David, and he says a few things. One is, the Lord is witness. Whenever there's agreement and a covenant, essentially, at its most basic level, is an agreement, 
the Lord is witness to it. And he says, tomorrow is the new moon. The new moon in Hebrew is the word Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh or Rosh Chodesh. It literally means the beginning or renewal. The renewal of something. And throughout scripture, the new moon was a day when the prophets heard from Yahweh. It was designated for waiting on God and for discerning the purposes of God through prophetic revelation. And that's why the husband of the Shunammite woman, when her son died, said, why are you troubling the prophet? It's neither Sabbath nor new moon. Because in his mind, that day is the day for prophetic revelation. But I want you to know that the new moon is always over the head of the people of God. God's got a word for his people at all times. And I want to let you know that we are in a season of prophetic revelation. If you can just hear the king calling you, he's revealing secrets. He's revealing secrets because of all the calamity, because of the shaking and the instability. Where do you go for stability when there's instability all around you? God is our refuge and our strength. He's a present help in trouble. And so David was not able to go and sit at the king's table because his life was in peril. His life was in jeopardy. And this covenant and these vows were designed to preserve David's life. Jonathan was so committed to this that he talked about it in ways that may not include him, which in a way was prophetic. Not in a way, it was prophetic. He talked about God being good to David as he was for his father. That means David would be on the throne and Jonathan, who was the heir to the throne. Jonathan was next in line to take it, but he put the covenant above his personal security his personal prosperity. He put the covenant even above his own life because he said to David, don't just show me the kindness of God when I live, but even when I'm not here, I want this covenant to be with your house and my house, which makes it something that we're going to talk about a little bit later. I want to focus on three areas that we see in this text. And this is not meant to be exhaustive. This is just to bring us to a place where we might hear the king a little more clearly calling us. For some of us, he's calling us because we're out of covenant. For others, he wants to bring us into covenant. And for still others, he wants to bring us deeper into intimacy so that we will always be aware of the fact that he is witness. He is witness just today. I said, Lord, I know you know my thoughts are far off. 
and he reminds us of things that are in us that needs to come out. That's what happens when we're in covenant. Our posture is always towards him. You always walk in a manner that causes the covenant to be more valued than anything else because the God of the covenant is faithful. So the three things we want to focus on is love, the fact that the covenant is generational, and then finally, that it's prophetic. Love is a characteristic of the covenant because God is love. And the king that I'm talking about, the last time I stood before you, I talked about from the perspective of Mephibosheth coming to the king's table. And by then, David was king and Jonathan and Saul were off the scene which is prophetic in, in the sense that Jonathan was already talking about David's future. David had already been anointed. At age 17, oil was poured on him by the prophet Samuel, but he didn't ascend to the throne until age 34. God wants us to know that the anointing and appointing don't always happen at the same time. David was anointed at 17, but he was appointed at age 34. And sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. People are running after stuff and they're ahead of the covenant because we don't have the patience to wait on God because we want what we want right now. Mom, why can't they come now? God has a time and a place for all things. And if we can learn to trust the faithfulness of the God who bring us, brings us into covenant, our lives would be much more peaceable. Here's what God says through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 and three, he says, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God was saying to the people of Israel, just as he's saying to us today, because He's the God of all generations. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures to all generations. Even though things change, especially in our world, rapidly, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's unchanging. His word is immutable. He's a God who cannot lie, so we can trust him. So whatever he says, we can have confidence that it will come to pass. Has God spoken it, and shall he not bring it to pass? Shall he not perform it? So why not wait on his timing? 
Somebody is waiting on God right now. And you feel like he's not coming, that he's not even there. God, where are you? I want to remind you that he's a present help in trouble. Whenever you're in trouble, he's present. You've just got to look and see. He's right there. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That's a promise from the God who's able to keep his covenant. Wait on God. Love. In the text, we see that Jonathan loved David. And Samuel goes further and says he loved him as his own soul. The king is calling you. And the first thing that we are to do when we respond to the call of the king is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and our strength. And then we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Love never fails. Love is a bond that is tight. Love is a bond that will never let go. And it's not that God tries to love us. It's not that God wants to love us. God is love. Wherever God is, there must be love because the essence of God, the nature of God, the character of God, the very being of God is love. And so love is a part of the covenant because God is the God of the covenant. Now, I want you to understand something. This is important to understand the context where God is speaking to his people about drawing them with loving kindness. They are literally being carried into, captive, into captivity by the Babylonian government, the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar, because they have disobeyed God. They had fallen out of love with God, but God through the prophet Jeremiah, who also was in captivity, reminded them that from old, I've loved you. And my love for you is an everlasting love. It'll never cease. You've got to learn a lesson who I love, I chasten. I'm chastising you because I love you. It's not because I don't love you. Don't think I'm taking the side of your enemy. I will never forsake you, but you have fallen out of love with me. You have forsaken the covenant. God will never forsake us. He will never forsake his covenant. As human beings, we walk away from covenants. I remember, must have been seven, eight years ago, when many couples were standing on this altar. Dr. Arnold and the marriage ministry had a time of renewal of vows. Renewal. And remember, the new moon literally means in Hebrew, a time of renewal. And it's also a time of prophetic revelation. And I remember taking those vows very, very seriously, as seriously as the first time, maybe even more so because it was new. And what it did is it brought me deeper in covenant with my wife. I tried to watch 
the way I communicate, both verbally and non-verbally. I still don't always get it right, but I promise you, I'm more aware. From that day, I decided I'm going to be a better husband, I'm going to be a better father, because I renewed the covenant. And that day, just as the day we originally got married, God was witness. And with every covenant, God is a witness. But covenants are broken all the time. Not just marriage covenants, but covenants in business. One of the, one of the types of contracts that people engage in are covenants. In, in rental agreements, you enter into a covenant. God wants us to know that he takes covenant very serious. The king is calling you. Some, for some of us, it might be what I experienced at the altar, to go deeper and to have a renewal and a commitment to the covenant which God witnessed. But this covenant is with God himself. And he said, my love for you is everlasting. Because God is love, there's nothing we can do for him to fall out of love with us. But we can walk away from the covenant because we have free will. That is the downside of free will. And so God is reminding Israel in a time where they feel forsaken by God. They feel as though the God of Israel has succumbed to the God of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans have taken all of the things, the holy things from the temple of God and put it in their idol chambers. In those days, when one nation conquered another, they took the spoils and they would always ravage the house of the other nation's God to show that my God is greater. My God is stronger. God wanted to remind his people because he had some people down there that he knew would stay true to the covenant. Like young Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they would not stray. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah. There were many people of God, great prophets priests who were obedient to God, who were caught up in the same thing. Where am I going with this? People of God, we're in the world, but we're not of it. And when there's trouble, there's trouble on every side. We get caught up in it, but God has never forsaken us. And God had the whole nation, the disobedient and the obedient, all had to pay for their transgression, but God never leaves us without a word. He never leaves us without a word, and that's why I'm saying that we're in a season of a new moon, because there's prophetic revelation. Even in trouble, we need to know that God is nigh unto us. He's closer to us than when we are at comfort. He's the God who's a present help in trouble, not a present help in comfort. So when there is trouble, don't fret. Know that God is close. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by him. All we need to do is open our eyes. I pray that God would give us the prophetic revelation that we would see like Elijah and not like his servant. 
Elijah's servant saw the Syrian army all around him, and he started to panic. He said, what are we going to do? And Elijah, calm and cool, said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see that there are more who be with us than be with them. When it seems like the world is against you, we are now living in a post-Christian era in America. But God is greater and stronger than ever, ever. There's a decline in the church. There's a decline in values. But the God of covenant is a covenant-keeping God. There's no honor, no respect for elders. There's no respect for life. People take life without thinking about it. And everywhere you look in the world, there's trouble, there's calamity. But God is our refuge and our strength. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's a God of love. Love. And with loving kindness, he draws. And when the people of God express the love of God, there's some stability that comes because the people of God become one, and then the world knows that we belong to him, and it starts to transform things. That's how we turn the world upside down. It's not that we come out of trouble and then things get better. We, we show the power of God and the love of God in trouble because in trouble, that's when God is present. That's when God is present. God wants us to come to a place to know that we don't run from trouble. We don't run from trouble because our God is greater. We have confidence. That's why Jonathan said, don't just show me the kindness of God while I live that I might not die. That's not the goal. He said, I want this covenant to be with my house. This thing has to be for generations. If I don't see it, I need my children to see it and their children to see it. The kindness of God. The kindness of God. Even if it's not reflected in your community, it is still there. And it's in you and it's in me. And God wants to release it to this world that's being shaken. Because everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And God said a second time, I will shake heaven and earth so that that which is unshakable might remain. There will be remains. And there was a remnant in Israel that 70 years later came out. But God wanted them to know while you're in it, I'll bring you peace while you're in it. He said, pray for the peace of the city. The same Jeremiah, pray for the peace of the city, for in the city's peace, you shall have peace. He tells us how to pray when we're in a tight spot. He directs us. He reminds us how much he loves us when we're in a tight spot. He lets us know, I'm not going, this is not a time for you to get anxious and uptight and stressed. I'm still your God. I'm still with you. I'm still in control. Nothing is going to befall you. No weapon that is formed against you is going to be able to prosper. Don't you know I'm the God who made the blacksmith, the one who creates the, the weapons. They're out of my hands. They're in my control. I got this. We just have to trust the God of the covenant. And as I was preparing for this message, I said, isn't it amazing that the servant that God used, one of them, Jeremiah, to first warn his people and then minister to his people. 
This prophet was not very popular. If he was here today, he wouldn't have a large following. He just wasn't because of what God put on him to speak. In fact, he wanted to give it up, but the word was burning in his heart like fire shut up in his bones. And he wrote the book of Lamentations out of a dark, cold, damp dungeon that was rat infested. And I had a vision of this, not like a clear vision, like I'm in the place, but in the spirit of my mind, snakes, rats, all things down there. And while he was in that, in Lamentations 3, he said, if it wasn't for the Lord's mercies, we would have been consumed. He said his mercies are new every morning. It, the way we go through trouble has a lot to say about how soon we come out of it. He could have said, I'm in this pit. I've served God faithfully, and this is what I get for it? I'm in a pit with these rats. It's cold in here. I can't eat. How can I sleep? I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but he was in there with the, surrounded by the Spirit of God, and lamentations came out of it. Even his lament was worship. Even when he lamented, he praised God. He said it was the mercies of God that we are not consumed. What Jeremiah was saying, I might be in a cold, damp, dark pit, dungeon, but I'm still here. Somebody who's still here ought to give God praise. I don't care what you're going through. You ought to lift up a lamentation and say, I'm still here. And it's because of the Lord's mercy. Jeremiah understood that God has spoken to me about covenant. In Jeremiah 31 and 31, it's when the new covenant is introduced in the Bible. And because he had that assurance, even in a dark, damp, rodent-infested dungeon, he still lifted God up. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant you're in trouble now. You're in bondage. You need deliverance. But the day is coming. See, that's prophetic. That I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. I'm going to write the word on their heart. So I just want to encourage somebody. You might be in a dark place. You might be in a place that you say, God, what am I doing here? How did I get here? I want you to know that that's the time to worship. That's how we win. The devil is confused when we're in trouble and we still worship God. We still lift him up. That's when God reaches down and rescues you. That's my child. He will, this child will not forsake the covenant. No matter what you do, you cannot take them away and there's no one who can pluck us out of his hand. God wants us to know. He, wants to, he also wants to know that we know that he's trustworthy, that he's faithful, that his mercy endures. Whatever your circumstance, I want you to know the king is calling you. He's calling you deeper 
into covenant. And the first thing, the first order of the covenant is love. The next is generational. Generational. I want to talk for a few moments about the generational aspect of the covenant. God, right now on earth, there are multiple generations in every nation. You have the silent generation, which is called the greatest generation, the silent generation. You have baby boomers. You have Gen X. You have millennials and Gen Z. And we make a difference between them because of time and space and preferences, and every generation has experienced the generation before them thinking that something was missing with them. It's because we want to shape people into our image and our likeness, when the truth is we should be shaping them into the image and likeness of the God of the covenant. And so across time, things that some call progress others call regress. And as generations struggle to get their identity, there's this tension because the generation before them will tell them how it ought to be. It's always been that way. I don't care what age you are. I don't care if you're from the silent generation or you're from Gen Z. You've had moments where your elders, those who went before you, are telling you how you ought to do things. I'm not just, I'm not talking about correction. I'm not talking about when you are out of bounds. There are some things like honor. That's for all generations. And if you lose that, you've lost it. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, there are things like fashion, the way you wear your hair. That's always been. The kids of the 60s heard it from their parents. The kids today hear it from their parents. There's some stuff that I wouldn't do. I just wouldn't, but that's my preference. That's my choice. Should I say you shouldn't? Well, if it's clearly wrong, then you shouldn't. But what I want to get to in the generational stuff is sometimes because of our preference, and it's true, from biblical days to 2021, that there's always something that creates tension with the generations. That doesn't exist in heaven because all generations before God are one. Pastor Hyacinth has a saying that I love and that is God has no grandchildren. So he sees all of us as one. In order for us to understand things in time, we segment things and we define them. And then our definitions shape the way we view it. And in some instances, it shapes our worldview. But one of the things that I know personally that I've worried about is the younger generation and their relationship with God. I really have. Now I'm just giving you my point of view. Maybe some of you have had the same thing. It's like, you know, they don't respect God the way we did. They don't honor God. There's no fear of God. It's just anything goes. And then God will show me something that reminds me 
that God has got 7,000 who hasn't bowed the knee to Baal or kissed his foot. Whenever we think that we're alone and that we are the end of righteousness, God will show someone. There's a, a group of millennials who released a song in March of 2021, and it's already over 25 million views. And in it, you know, let's just talk about music. Contemporary music is a lot about, it's soulish in many ways. Soulish in many ways, because it make you feel good. But is there, if I hear a, a song that's supposed to be gospel, and I never hear Jesus, that's not gospel. It's music, but it's not gospel because Jesus is the power of the gospel. And is there theology in contemporary Christendom? Or is it all about lights, camera, action, and all of the other pomp and circumstance? If you close your eyes and then you open them, would you know the difference between a rock concert and a church service? And some instances, and that has nothing to do with generations, it has to do with contemporary time. The answer would be no. Very, you got fog, you got everything. And all that started with concerts, but it's now in the church. That's troubling, but we should not despair because this millennial group, when I watch them worship, I cannot help but enter into worship and to be hopeful that God has got someone because he's faithful to all generations. And so the broad stroke is not the right stroke because there's a remnant, just like in Israel, when they were in bondage, God promised there's a remnant who's coming out and I'm gonna make a new covenant with them and God is gathering some folk. God got some people who love God the old time way. They just do it a new way but they have the same love for God as the old time way. And when I worship with them, I can't tell the difference between the old school and the new school because it's not a school, it's worship. It's time out for school. Old school, new school, you go to school. I'm talking about worship in the presence of God. And the name of the song is called Jireh. And I want somebody to chat for me because Jireh, in Hebrew means provider. I need somebody to chat provider. That's the generational element of the covenant is God is a provider. He's a provider all the time. Even if you're in a dark, cold, wet, dungy pit, he's a provider. Jeremiah realized his mercies was new. And for all of us like me who are worried about the generation behind us, God has got them. Just as he had you, he's got them. That's what Jonathan said to David. He said, just as my father, just as God was with my father, may he be with you. Just as God was with your father, he's now with you. And just as he's with you, he'll be with your children. Don't worry, don't lose any more sleep. God has got them. I wanna, I wanna give a few lyrics of that song to make the point. One of the things I love is when I watch the video, after this first line, people start wiping tears from their eyes. Young people who, who look, if you saw them in the grocery store, 
You wouldn't think that they love God because of the way their hair is colored, because of the tattoos on their neck. But when you hear them worship, you forget about all that stuff. None of that stuff matters because the heart of God and the Spirit of God is released in, so much, in such a way you're consumed. The first line says, I will never be more loved than I am right now. There's some theology in that. It's understanding that God is love. And the God who loves me is the God who says, I am. I am. I am means I'm present. And anytime you say I am, it's present. I'm talking about the God who's a present help, the God who's everywhere all the time. I will never be more loved than I am right now. That understanding helps us to get through tough times. Right now, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what you're going through, you will never be more loved than you are right now. Then they go, go on to say, I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. They're, what they're saying is, God, you're the one who holds me up. Everything is upheld by the word of your power. I don't need to hold you up. I need you to hold me up. And there's nothing I can do to let you down because you're for, you have foreknowledge. You know my thoughts are far off and you still love me. I will never be more loved than I am right now. And I love, it doesn't make a trophy to take a trophy to make you proud. On the day that Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven was heard saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What was it about Jesus that pleased him and that he hadn't done one miracle, he hadn't raised anyone from the dead, he hadn't healed leprosy, he hadn't opened blind eyes or deaf ears or any of that. It was because of who he was. God loves you because of who he made you to be. He knows you better than you know yourself because he made you. He knows your triggers better than you know them. If you knew your triggers better, you wouldn't be set off so much. God loves you because you are, you can never be more loved than you are right now. Don't let that shame hold you down. Don't let your past keep you from your present because if you can understand that in the present, your future is going to be brighter. Your latter will be better than your past. You will never be more loved than you are right now. And if you see me tomorrow, I'll say the same thing. You will never be more loved than you are right now because God is present. That's why he says, I am. I am. He is ever present. And then Naomi comes in and starts to sing. And this right from scripture, she says these words. If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he dress you? And then she says, if he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? Don't 
worry, the Father loves you. I think you'll agree there's an understanding of who God is, and there's theology in this, and these are millennials. I wouldn't ascribe that to millennials, but God is starting to allow us to see that he's got somebody, and it's all right. And what he wants from my generation and the generation before me is to pour into them, to pour into them so that they can flourish and they can blossom. We're in a new moon. We're under a new moon. There's prophetic revelation. God is raising people up. He's doing a new thing, and he wants us to be a part of it. The king is calling you. He dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor. How much more will he dress you? Some of you don't see how ends are going to meet, but the God of the covenant will take care of you. He will not allow you. If he dresses the lily, lilies that neither toil nor spin, they neither toil nor spin, and he takes care of them. The grass, Jesus said, that burns in an oven, and every year he causes it to come up. The God who can do that, you're more than 10,000 sparrows. How much more does he love you? Not one sparrow falls to the ground without your father's knowledge. How much more does he love you? This God of the covenant is love, and it's to all generations. It's to all generations. I'm, I'm so grateful to God that he's faithful, that he is there. He is always there, no matter what. It's us who are covenant breakers. And especially in this time, I feel like we're living in 2 Thessalonians 2, where there's lawlessness, where there is strong delusions, where there are those who don't want to believe the truth. And that's the reason he's calling us into covenant. He wants his covenant people to be used. And Jaira provide. Every time I say Jaira, somebody type provider, because that's what he is, provider. Somebody needs to be encouraged by that. Jaira, Jaira, you are enough. You're more than enough. He's our provider. There's nothing that we, don't, that we need that he doesn't have. You need peace? Jaira. Somebody put in provider. You need joy or more joy? Jaira. You need hope? Jaira. You need food to eat? Jaira. You need clothes on your back? Jaira. You need a roof over your head, Jaira. You need a relationship to be mended, Jaira. You need a wayward child to come back home, Jaira. You need a husband to stop acting up, Jaira. You need help, Jaira. You need a job, Jaira. Jaira, you are enough. You're more than enough. And I will be content in every circumstance because you are Jaira. You are enough. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. And those young people know something about God. They say that I will be content in every circumstance because you are gyra. You're more than enough. You're more than enough. I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know that I'm chosen. There's some things that you got to know because when you know, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about it that Jaira is enough. He is your provider. Somebody say amen. Somebody give God some praise. God is doing something for right now. Jaira is enough. The things you think you need the things that you're chasing after, I want you to know it's not enough. It's not enough. Jaira is enough. Your provider, he's more than enough. Somebody type, he's more than enough. He's more than enough. Somebody needs to hear that. And if you're one of those who need to hear while you're typing, you're gonna receive something. He's more than enough. Let's get to the last element, the prophetic, the prophetic. We already talked about the new moon, but Jonathan's words specifically concerning David, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And if you recall, David asked the question when he came into power, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I might show kindness, the kindness of God? And they went and found Mephibosheth, who was lame because he had been dropped at age five. He didn't think much of himself, but there was a covenant that was driving David. And the covenant is not conditioned on what you can give. The covenant isn't conditioned on what you bring. The covenant is about who brings you into covenant. The one who makes the covenant is the one with the power. The one who makes the covenant is the one with the responsibility to carry out the promises that are in that covenant. And we heard by the word of God in Jeremiah 31 and 3, that long ago we've heard that with loving kindness he drew us. And then we saw in Jeremiah 31 and 31, God said a new covenant. And he talked about a new covenant in a time when his people was in great distress. But that's the prophetic element. God is telling them better days are coming. Better days are coming. I know what you're going through, and that's what keeps you. 
when you have the promise of God, you're able to endure hardness as a good soldier, soldier because you know that he won't leave you, he won't forsake you, and you know that he who called you is faithful, and he's faithful to complete it. That There is nothing that can stop the word of God from coming to pass. So it reshapes our outlook, our focus, our confidence, and our faith. And some years later, after David was no longer on the scene and Hezekiah was the king, God was still fighting for David because the generational covenant of God is also prophetic. And the words that Jonathan spoke were coming to pass even when David was no longer there because the covenant is for our house. It's for our house. There are times when my wife and I have conversations and she says, Bobby, we need to pray for these children. Sometimes one of them, sometimes two of them, sometimes for all three of them. That's life, that's how it works. And I hear the heart of a mother who wants the best for her children. And we begin, as we pray, we don't stop right there, but we pray consistently. We pray without ceasing. And you can see the hand of God moving. And I want to encourage you, even if you don't see it, even if you don't see it, God is a covenant-keeping God. That's why he says the husband sanctifies the wife and the wife the husband, because whatever is produced is a part of the covenant. And even if it feels bad at times, God is saying better days are coming. That's why Jeremiah said, I've heard of old what God is going to do. I know what the situation is right now, but I remember the word of God from way back when, and it's going to come to pass. And so if we look together at 2 Kings 19 and 34, we see the promise of God that is unshakable in the prophetic. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Remember, the, the text said that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. See, that's a shadow of the covenant. God is saying, I'm going to do it for my sake and for David's sake. God loved David so much that I'm going to do this not just for me, but for David, for David's sake. When God does something, he has you in mind. When God does anything in your life, he has you in mind. And when you're in any trouble, he knows it. He knows it even if we feel like the children of Israel, forsaken by God and forgotten. He's right there. Let me set this up a little bit. Hezekiah was king. And the Bible says of Hezekiah in the Chronicles of the King that he walked upright before God as his father David did. So now the enemy is coming to attack on the watch of one who's faithful to the covenant. 
Devil, you have no shot. You can't touch God's people when they're in covenant. Even when trouble comes, God is in trouble. He'll be in the trouble with you. If I had to call a witness from Scripture, I say, Shadrach, what do you say? Meshach, what do you say? Abednego, what do you say? They would say, oh, we were in the fire. The fire was so hot that the, the strong men who were throwing us in got burnt by the fire. They were crispy critters. They were incinerated. And they weren't even in the fire. The fire was so hot, it came out of the incinerator, burned them up, and it didn't touch us. But what, what did they say? They said, oh, king, live forever. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. If he doesn't do it, he's able. That kind of faith causes Jesus to show up. The king, who was a pagan, looked in the furnace, and then he looked around. He said, didn't, weren't there three in there? And now I see four. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. How does Nebuchadnezzar know what the Son of God looks like? When prophetic revelation comes, even the pagans will see God. How much more can those in covenant see him? And Jesus wants us to know he'll walk in the fire with you. He'll walk in the fire. And he didn't take them out of the fire. He got in the fire with them. Lord, I'd rather you get in the fire with me than to take me out of the fire. I'd rather you to walk through sacrifice with me rather than me going through a bed of ease because when you're with me, when you are with me, that is better than life because you are the very source of life. He is there. He is a present help in trouble. They were present. They were in trouble. Jesus was present. They were in trouble. Jesus was present, walking in the fire with them. Just as Jonathan said, God is going to, I'm praying that God will take all your enemies off the face of the earth. And now Sennacherib and the Assyrian army, who's mighty, conquered every army on the earth. I'm, I'm telling you this so that you know it doesn't matter how big your problem is, God is bigger. Doesn't matter how great your distress is, God is greater. I don't care how dark it is, God is light. And the Assyrian army went to the gates and talked to the people. And the Bible says the knees of the, of the men, the mighty men, were loosed. They were shaking, literally shaking in their boots. And they said, would you please speak to us in another language so the people don't hear? Nope, nope. We got a message from you. And the message is, are you going to listen to Hezekiah? You think that your God can deliver you? Why didn't all the other, you, have you heard about us? All the other nations that we've subdued? If we gave you 2,000 horses, would you have soldiers to ride on them? In other words, you have no resources. We could give you 2,000 horses. You don't even have the people with the courage to mount those horses. You've got no shot. Surrender. Give up. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to surrender. He wants you to believe that God has forsaken you. He wants you to believe you're all by yourself. But Hezekiah had a response. He wrote a letter. He, he took the letter that was written, and he put it on the altar. 
he laid it on the altar, and he said, Lord, this is a day of blaspheme. You hear what they're saying against you. Hezekiah didn't make it about him. He's saying that this is the city of David, and this is the city of God. This is the apple of your eye. Don't let them do this. And after he prayed, he sent for the prophet. He sent word to Isaiah, and he said, this is a day of trouble. Lift up your prayers. He asked the prophet to agree with him in prayer. If you're in trouble, you need to reach out and have somebody agree with you in prayer to pray, to pray. I'm, let me go back because I'm, I'm moving around. I'm starting to feel this thing. Let me get back. He says, lift up your prayers. And Isaiah, here's a word from God. And he said, go tell Hezekiah that they shall not come into that city. They're going to come one way and they're going to go back seven. Their arrows are not going to reach the city. And that's when we hear this word in 2 Kings 19 and 34. For I will defend this city. If the king would have took it upon himself and say, I got to defend it, those words, I'll give you 2,000 horses, you can't mount it, might be true. But it wasn't the king and his might that he relied on. He relied on the king of kings. The last time we talked, we talked about King David and having a seat for Mephibosheth at his table. This week, I'm talking about the king of kings. That's the king that's calling us now, the king of kings. And Hezekiah says, you think that I'm the ultimate king? I got a king that I can call on. And there's a prophet of God who's going to agree with me in prayer. And he said, I'm going to defend this city for my sake and for my servant David's sake. The last point I want to make, and I just saw this in this moment in the text. Sometimes our deliverance is not even about us. It's about somebody who prayed before us. That's the generational part of the covenant. He wasn't saving the city because of Hezekiah, the contemporary king. He was doing it because of David. But because Hezekiah walked in covenant, he positioned himself to receive generational blessings. I don't want to miss the blessings that God has placed on my house, and I don't want my children to miss it. But unfortunately, I've seen it, and I'm sure many of you have. There are generations who God passes over. He's the God of all generations, but because they step out of covenant, they have no covering. That's why the king is calling us. He's calling us to a place of covenant. He's calling us to a place of intimacy. He wants us to experience the kind of love that could not be greater. We can never be more loved than we are right now. He wants us to know that his grace, his power, his mercy, and his love is for our house. It will outlive us. It's generational. And that is prophetic that every word that's spoken over your life shall come to pass.
I want to pray with you right now. Some of you need to enter into covenant. The king is calling you. Some of you need to renew your covenant, like I renewed my vows, and it made me more conscious, conscious. And as my awareness and consciousness was lifted, my behavior followed. And then still others, he wants to bring us into deeper intimacy. So the first group, he wants to bring you into covenant. You're outside of the covenant. The second group, he wants renewal, a renewal so that you can go deeper. And then the third group, you're in covenant, but he wants a more intimate relationship. I hear the Lord saying, like many human relationships, you take for granted that which is familiar. You tend to take it for granted. And God says it hurt, it breaks his heart when we do that for him. And he's saying, my daughter, my son, don't take me for granted. I promise that my love for you is everlasting. And that when you're in trouble in those times when you think I've forsaken you and you have questions, I hear you. And what I'm doing is working things together for your good. You need to have the patience to wait. Because if you wait on me, you shall renew your strength. And when you're strengthened, you're going to mount up with wings as eagles. You're going to be able to run and not be weary. And others are going to walk and not faint. And in that text in Isaiah, he's talking about different generations. The older ones are going to be able to run. The younger ones are going to walk and not be weary. Don't be weary in well-doing because you're going to reap in due season if you don't faint. Don't faint. This is not a time to give up. It's not a time to give up. I pray that that same spirit that was on Jeremiah in a dark place where there was no way to get out, he couldn't climb out, it was slippery and slimy and it was deep, it was dark, there was no light, there was no hope around him. But the spirit of God that was in him caused him to write something that has encouraged us for thousands of years. That happened in a dungeon. Paul wrote to the Philippians. Philippians only has four chapters, probably has some of the most famous scripture always quoted. I can do all things through Christ. You could go on and on and on. He wrote that in jail, in the jail that he would ultimately perish in. But he said, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. All these people are talking bad about me, but I know my purpose. I'm set for the defense of the gospel and it's for your good. And then he says, I'm in a strait. I don't know what to do because if I live, 
it's fruit for you. But if I die, it's gain. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be with him is far better. Paul was sold out for the covenant and no circumstance could touch him. And he was encouraging people while he was in there. He was old. He was in a place where they didn't take good care of him. It's obvious that he was very cold because he wrote to Timothy, bring my coats. He needed to cover up, but he was still encouraging. Some of you feel that you're in a cold place, that you need the warmth of God, but you still have the capacity to encourage somebody else because that's the greatest witness. It's not when you're on the mountaintop. We go for glitter. We see all these people who have all this stuff flying around in jets and have this and that. That's who we call blessed, but that's what I love about Jaira. They say, I will be content in every circumstance because you are enough. And Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so whether you're in category one, where you need to come into covenant, category two, where you need renewal of the covenant, or category three, where you need to go deeper, there are people waiting to pray with you. And I pray that they will pray in sync with the Spirit so that your needs will be so met that you know that this is God because we're in a season of prophetic revelation. Father, I pray for everyone who's watching, everyone who's listening. I pray that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see. And for those who would watch later, send an anointing that is spirit and life that will bring them into covenant and bring them to a place of renewal and bring them into deeper and greater intimacy that they may know the depth and height and length and breadth of the manifold wisdom of Christ. May we come to a place that like Paul, we say that it all comes down to this, that I might know him and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. God, bring us to that place. Quiet the noise in our spirits that we might hear the king calling, that we might run to you, our refuge, our rock, our strength, our strong tower, our re-reward. God, deliver from bondage. Help those who are in trouble that they might be witnesses of the truth that you are a present help in trouble and now God release and dispatch ministering spirits send them forth to minister for those who are heirs of salvation, and that is everyone who's in covenant with you.
You are a covenant-keeping God. Write your words on our heart as you promised. Put it in our mind that we shall never depart from it. We seal this prayer by faith and we say it is so and so it is in Jesus' name. I want to give a different kind of benediction. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And God told me to do this because of the times and because of this word. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. I want to say that again. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Go in peace and go in power. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.